Good afternoon and welcome to episode four of our MicroFocus educational series on security. Our last session for today, it's been a late session, but an early day for Michael Angelo, who has a hotel named after him in Santa. No, I'm only joking. Michael, welcome to the MicroFocus sessions and thank you for giving us your morning, our evening. How's it going in Houston, Texas? Uh, it's pretty nice. We don't have a thunderstorm going and uh, it's it's really nice. I'm glad. My name is Daniel Robus and I'm going to be your host for today. And I'm getting to know a little bit about the MicroFocus culture. And it seems to be one that shares learning and shares information really easy. Michael, why do you think MicroFocus is so easy to share on that side? Is it inbred deliberate or is it just the culture that you guys have developed over the years i think it's the culture that's been developed over the years uh, if you look at microfocus uh, they started off as a smaller company and acquired a bunch of larger companies and you know the people in the company all want to work together we all want to figure out the, the new great problem to solve and not everyone's of the same monoculture so because of that we have a um, opportunity to learn uh, security, which is one of my areas of expertise, is never the same two days in a row. And if you think you're doing something right, you might be doing something wrong, or it might be right for today, but it might be wrong for tomorrow. So it's a continuous learning and evolution in your area. You never have arrived when you're in security. Is that why you've got one, two, three, three long acronyms behind your name? What are those? Um, okay, so those are, uh, I have a, a Chief Information System Security Professional, mm -hmm. uh, or Certified Information System Security Professional, sorry, I always get that mixed up. I don't do three-letter acronyms well, <laughs> I just deal with government agencies. I've got a C-RISC, which basically says I know how to do risk analyses, and then I've got a privacy certification. Um, the reality is, when I was starting out many centuries ago, uh, none of these certifications existed. And when they started coming into vogue, I kind of ignored them because I was so busy dealing with security as a general. Um, so, for example, um, you know, when I first started doing security, the world was young. Now, uh, I started back in 1978. And I've done everything from PCs through supercomputers and back down again from government wow. agencies to non-government agencies. Wow. Uh, I was there at the uh, movement of encryption from a weapon uh, treated in like the US as ITAR and other places as weapons as well to commerce uh, as a commodity jurisdiction, something where we need it for business. So the world has changed a lot since I started. It's been a whirlwind. If you could yeah. go back to when you left college, first of all, where did you go to college? Where did you go to college? I went to New York Institute of Technology in Old Westbury. I went okay. for biomedical engineering. Um, I'm one of those people that realized early on that the degree was going to be far less valuable to me than the experience. Yes. So okay. I was working at a computer graphics lab in Old Westbury at the time. And the people who, uh, were there, actually went off to start something, some other things, you know, maybe you've heard of them, Silicon Graphics, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, Pixar, um, 
you know, they were the founders of that. And wow. I got into security because one of the people that were there um, had his resume on the computer for maybe 20 minutes and it was discovered. And of course he was fired as theft of service, but I tried to figure out how to go and recover files from the operating environment. So this was back in 1978, 79. Wow. And um, it became a journey through operating systems. And it wasn't even about security. It was about operating systems back then. It seems like you need a, an ingredient called curiosity to exist in this environment. Would you say that that's a dose of what makes you special in the security space? I'm not sure I'm special. I think I'm pretty average. Um, yeah, I've got 67 patents in the US and about 120 worldwide. But it's more of a belief that, you know, the curiosity is there, but the belief of every problem has an answer. It's just a matter of figuring out how to solve the problem. Okay. So when I look at security or security issues, I look at it, what's the problem? I will look at what might be the solution. I work forwards and backwards and sideways and I'll talk with people and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think of this? What about that? And well, it's so it's curiosity is a small piece, but the other piece of it is the not willing to accept that there isn't a solution. Okay. So it's that tenacity and grit to carry on and carry on until you find an acceptable answer that's good for today. If you were giving um, advice to a young person that's coming into this area and some context you've been to South Africa, you understand that our skills are exported quite quickly, translate yep. people, steal our people, and, and that creates a vacuum, which is an amazing learning ground. If you had to bring a young person into security, what would you say are the first three steps that they need to take to shoot them on their way to a good time in a security career? Wow. Um, don't be afraid. Uh, because usually people th see things and they become intimidated, um, whether it be they get thrown a whole bunch of three-letter and four-letter acronyms or verbs and phrases that they have no idea what they mean. Yeah. Um, the second thing is it's okay to understand how to run other people's programs. So I see a lot of young people nowadays going off and getting certifications in ethical hacking, um, which you know basically is a, let me teach you how to run all the programs that exist out there today. It doesn't help you for the future. Okay. So the third bit of advice I'd give is understand the basics. So if you're going to do cybersecurity, I would learn an operating system. I would understand the fundamentals of processes. I'd understand the fundamentals of um, computing software, you know, memory. And I would definitely make sure that I paid attention to things like supply chain. Mm -hmm. Where does that component that I'm about to run on my computer, or where does that software come from and what was done to make it secure? Mm. And I mean, that's the topic of discussion today. We are talking about supply chain and, and, and where does software supply chain fit into this whole ecosystem? And I think that um, that's a good segue in. Why is this even an issue to talk around? 
Wow. Um, <laughs> You've got to understand, that's, that's Michael. Like, so I, what a perfect, come with, a perfect. I come with no background. You've got to give me something. Okay. So, so I don't know how much news has been made um, uh, where uh, January I spent most of the time offline for various personal reasons. Matter of fact, I spent the entire month offline laying on my stomach, but we won't go there. Um, during that time, there was an incident called Solar Winds. Yes, I heard about. It. Even and I heard Solar, about. It. So good, 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 good. So Solar Winds was a company, or is a company, that got some software from the internet as a component, and most companies do that. Either whether or not you're buying software or they're building software, you get something from the internet. Well, a piece of that code may have been subverted okay it might have had a security issue in it so um, in all english a baddie did something to that code and it got behind all their firewalls well worse okay so someone took a bad action and it's not clear as to whether or not it was someone inside of the company someone outside the company that's for the courts to figure out in the future but the end result was someone got some bad code into a product that they sold now that product provides security for other people it allows you to update your infrastructure from security vulnerabilities and if that product had the vulnerability now all of a sudden the foundation of your security has issues okay and so it's poisoned it, the water it, well exactly and it's it's funny there's a, a slide i have um i'm actually talking at the isc squared uh, international congress in a couple of weeks on this topic and there's a slide i have which shows a picture of a bottle of water uh and it's coming out of this metal pipe in the side of a wall you're right it's a poisoning of the well but you don't necessarily know who or where it was poisoned. And, and at the end of the day, that's irrelevant. The question of what was in it and how did it get into your infrastructure or what, what is in your infrastructure is what's really important. So when was the last time you looked at the back label on a bottle of water? A while ago. Okay. A while ago. So trust, my doc I trust that when I open the water, it's clean and I'm getting what I'm buying right and normally you think water that's you know back to chemistry days two hydrogen one oxygen it's it's something we all understand and a partridge in a pear tree yes no 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 it should just be two <laughs> hydrogen one oxygen if there's a partridge in a pear tree you got the wrong water um but if you look at the back of it you notice nowadays they put it in magnesium sulfate mm. Magnesium sulfate, what is that? That's something we used to call Epsom salts. And then in, yeah. in the States, we had a saying like, runs through you like a dose of the salts. It really messes up your stomach. Okay. Yes. But if you don't know that and you drink a lot of bottled water, you're ingesting all this stuff, then you could wind up with stomach problems. So now think about the software. You get these components from elsewhere and you don't necessarily know what's in them, but you've checked them and you think you've checked them but you can only check them in today's world for things that you know are a problem okay but what if there's a problem for tomorrow's world so now you've got this software this component that you include in your infrastructure and or your the software you're writing 
and it's got a vulnerability, but you didn't know about it when you were including it. Yes. So now you have to monitor after you've included your software for all of your components to see if there are vulnerabilities in them. Okay. So January rolled around, solar winds hits, then there was something called CodeCov. CodeCov is this cool tool that's on the internet that someone compromised that allowed you to look at the source code, you look at your source code and determine how much testing you did. But they compromised the shell script that you were downloading to your computer, which we won't go into the security issues on that, but you downloaded the shell script and it did, you did not, you know, no one knows what it did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that hit. And then all of a sudden, everyone suddenly became concerned about software supply chain. They suddenly said, oh my gosh, we're being poisoned by the software. What are we going to do? Okay. So a number of countries, the U.S. included, came out with statements of, uh, in the U.S., we called it an executive order. Yes. We need to figure out what's in our software. For critical infrastructure, we need to do this. Now, it, you know, the executive order came out in May and it had dates and it had requirements and all these things in it. But it, you know, when you think about it, anytime the government gets involved, you know things are going to be not necessarily improving. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. Um, one of the the one of the things I do on the side is I, I still participate with the U.S. government for export reviews. So looking at technology. So I know that if I say this is an apple or this is a pear they're going to go and do something strange and wonderful with that statement. It's, it's always a good. fruit, man. It's a fruit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And fruit, like, nuts are fruits, aren't they? So, yes, yeah. exactly. And so is a tomato. If we yeah. rewind, so are you talking now with the proliferation of Agile, which is out there, release early, release often, fail forward. We're now using components and containerization and Kubernetes and open source to just reduce the time to market for these changes. You're saying that the problems are now there. The, the problems have been there. Um, let's, let's back up in time before this year. Um, OpenSSL. Yes. OpenSSL is a software package. It's used in about mm, 10 million websites worldwide. Wow. Um, if you think about that, it's that's a lot of, of that's a lot of places. And then you can hide and, components and you can hide bad things. Right. And I'm not I'm not pointing at OpenSSL and saying OpenSSL isn't secure or anything like that. I'm saying that that's 10 million opportunities that you have wow. to possibly impact the world. Okay. Okay. And if you think back about OpenSSL, and there's a, a tool that we've got, um, something we developed internally, but uh, there's also then a national, international vulnerability database. And if you look at that, and just the past, since the database has been in place, you've got 400 opportunities to attack that software. Okay. Okay. okay, so 400 times 10 million is a decent number, but but forget that. Let's look at something that's really used a lot. Look at something like Java. 
Java is in light bulbs, it's in cameras, it's in cars, it's, you know, 13 billion devices have Java. And if you look at, according to the, the vulnerability list, there have been 2,304 vulnerabilities announced since 1999. Now, admittedly, some of them are critical, some aren't, but 2,000 times how many? Many? You know, 2,304, just roughly speaking. How many does that equate for 13 billion devices? That's a, a large that's a large attack vector. Whoa. So imagine your light bulbs get attacked and now they flash on and off and, and strobe and. Well, I, I mean, we've got a, a kid in our circle. He's a 15 year old. We went away for the weekend and uh, stayed at, at, at a place and they've got a computer interface to their refrigerator. And he changed, he changed the alarm to sound like a Star Wars theme. And I had no idea how he did this. And this is what you're talking about now. It just yeah. It, but but why, why would you want why would you want your refrigerator on the internet? Except if this is a, a vacation place and they want to know when you've taken milk so they can charge you, I can understand. But who knows? Who knows why rich people have things that they have? But it was an amazing refrigerator when we left. It sounded like like the starship. <laughs> uh, it was amazing. But 13 billion devices. So now I understand why software's supply chain is an issue. But what the heck do we do about this? Well, um, that's one of the things that we spend a lot of time looking at. Um, you know, I've actually, I'm not new to this rodeo. It's a, sorry, I'm from Texas. Um, not originally, but I got here as fast as I could. Just too many cliches, sorry. Yeah, um, but <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas. Even the stories, even the stories are bigger. Well, yeah, it's 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 all fun. Uh, but no, so I've actually been talking about supply chain and um, saying people that there's an issue here. So about 2012. So I've been at at Microfocus since before. It was a, it was a, I've been at Microfocus since before it was Microfocus. And, you know, I've started about 2010 saying, people, we've gotten big enough. We're now including a lot of third party components from outside. We have to worry about are we licensed for those third party components, but we have to worry about vulnerabilities but we don't have the source code for those components so we can't inspect them. So how do we do analysis? And there's, there's all kinds of magic that we can you know, uh, wave a wand at and, and analyze source code or analyze binaries to determine if they've got problems. But this organization, MITRE said, hey, we'll house this list of vulnerabilities so people can find vulnerabilities in products. So we wound up looking at that and I wound up writing a program that said, okay, based on the third party components in our products, what have current vulnerabilities? And then we run that daily, hourly, and we flag those products. And fast forward, now we've got a database that we use that uh, we can tell every product, every component, every version of component in that product and whether or not there's a published vulnerability. 
And if there's a published vulnerability, we have a team of engineers who will go out and look at the component, look at the vulnerability in the product. We'll usually rev the component, uh, but the time frame may be delayed a little bit depending on whether or not it's an impacting component. Mm. So if the thing is not, if the tree is not gonna fall in the woods and hit us, we will fix it, we'll chop it down later on rather than right away. Now, this works really, really well up until everyone starts publishing all the third-party components in every product out there. Mm. Because now all of a sudden you wind up with a database. Databases are great, but, but imagine product A uses component B. Component B uses component C, component C uses component D, and component D says, I have a security issue. Now, all of a sudden, everything up that chain has to worry about that security issue. And because you've got this database, it's fairly easy to develop this transitive dependency list. So you know that product A consumes component A, which consumes component B, which consumes component C, which consumes component D. What you don't know is if component C is exposed to the vulnerability in component D, if component B is exposed to the vulnerability in component C, and if component A is exposed to the vulnerability. Wow. And by the way, it can be A is exposed to B, C, or D. Yes. You don't necessarily yeah. know, yes. but it gets worse. Thanks. You're just a jolly. You should write cards for Hallmark, buddy. Hey. It gets worse. Okay. Hey. Tell me worse because we're going to go to the positive. I'm thinking of this. So thing, thinking, what the hell can I do? So component C, what if component C no longer has someone supporting it because it's open source <laughs> It's COBOL and you don't and have it? Yes. They've gone off to retire. Well, yeah, they've they've actually gone and created a company where they're selling something else. But yes. it's so now all of a sudden you've got what's known as orphan dependencies. Oh, so you know, a lot of people will hear me talk over the next few months about why publishing the dependency list lowers the bar of attack for people that want to do bad things because so it just, just keeps on getting you're giving them you're giving them a, 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 a paint by numbers into your environment you give well, them a list of of places to go and attack but it's it, it only goes downhill from there go back to that java stuff <laughs> 13 billion devices now you know that there's a vulnerability down four levels in those 13 billion devices and the bad people know everywhere or can tell where those devices are used. And think about that. You know, it's not just my car, it's not just my refrigerator, it's my lights, it's my switches in my house. It's, it's our electricity production farms, it's our automobiles, it's our gas providers. It, holy crap. Exactly. You it, are not it, a popular person to have at a party, dude. Oh, actually, I am because <laughs> yeah. so so one of the things when I was in South Africa, I'd never seen it before. I saw a black swan. Yes, probably one of the most spectacular creatures I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it also comes to play when we're talking about supply chain. Is this a black swan event? A black swan was coined back, well, actually, in the late eighteen hundreds. 
someone had actually visited South Africa and brought back a black swan. And that caused such disruption in society because black swans were imaginary creatures like unicorns, like, you know, government people there to help you. Uh, just, you know, to do that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so it became a view of the end times and people panicked wow. and then they got used to it. Well, here we've got supply chain and rule number one, don't panic. Uh, rule number two, look at what you're doing before you do it. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you're using open source and there are hundred thousands of people looking at this open source. But the problem is there are a hundred thousand people looking at it, but they're not experts. They're not skilled and trained in the art of security. Their number one goal is like the internet. Our number one goal in, in 1985, I put a site on the internet, one of the, the backbone sites for the National Science Foundation. And that in turn became the internet in 91. And our goal was not security. Our number one goal was make it work, yeah. enhance it to work better, fix the f bugs that we introduced when we made it work better, introduce a new feature that someone else absolutely needed, enhance the bugs that were introduced from that new feature. It wasn't until we got to like the seventh layer of this yeah. process that someone said, what about security? Yeah. What about worms? Yeah. What about viruses? What about malware? So, you know, rule number one, don't panic. Rule number two, understand that the third party components you're getting from the open source world may have security issues and figure out how to mitigate it. The easiest way to mitigate most of the security issues is to ask the simple question, why is this connected to the internet? Do I really need to be able to turn the light on in my bathroom from across the world? It's cool that I can do that, but why do I need that? Okay. okay. Now for companies, having that list of transitive dependencies is important because yeah. you want to know what's in your infrastructure you want yeah. to know you need to know yeah. what you're exposed to and then being able to determine that is critical to your success so looking at the bar in the u.s executive order it called for a creation of a transitive dependency list everyone to say here are the dependencies in our product here are the dependencies in our infrastructure and declare that publicly, which lowers the bar. However, if we were all told, go and create a list of what's in your infrastructure, what's in your software, and based on what's in my software, I, you as a customer, I tell you, here's my software list. And then we create a process where we're constantly testing the software, constantly uh, monitoring the components, constantly changing the components now all of a sudden this black swan event is really a cool looking animal with really pretty red eyes yeah you know it's not a sign of end times yes so let me retract i mean we can talk for hours wow Sorry. this is interesting what do we do as a cio now to lower the risk you've just given me three great tips don't panic look at what you are doing ask the simple question why is this on the internet now that's fine for daniel um, in my context 
in my corporate context, do I take that to to um, to the next level of don't panic, look at all my system applications in the architecture, where are they, what are the integration points to the internet and why are they there? And once we have that landscape, we can then start to interrogate them point by point, or is there a more effective way of going ahead? Wow, that's that's a loaded question. It definitely um, is a flat out loaded question. I need a, a little bit of so a there's, there's a few things. When when we're talking about a big company, um I always ask the question of why do you need that particular person to be able to get on the internet? If you look at a number of the ransomware attacks that have occurred, it's because someone has clicked on something that they shouldn't have. Okay. But should they have been out on the internet playing in those areas on a sensitive network for their company? Okay. And okay. that becomes that becomes a question. So so you know it's not so, just looking at the internet connections, it's look at what you're doing inside of your pro company. Okay. We have very well defined defined processes and practices. If you go to uh, NIST special publication 853, you actually have a checklist of all the things you could do around security. Okay. And of course, we all have unlimited budgets and we can do that, uh, go through and there's only like 800 items. I'm exaggerating, of course. Uh, it's that Texas thing again. But, um, you know, we don't have unlimited budgets, but we can certainly look at what are we doing in our infrastructure? What controls are in there to protect that from having a negative effect? Okay, okay. So, Michael, another question. Enterprise-wide or business unit specific? What is your preference when we attack a supply chain issue like this? Um, everything rolls uphill. You know, so your business unit, should pay attention to the components that it's doing and where is it actually uh, connecting? What is it actually buying? How do you isolate it if it's a command and control application? How do you isolate it to protect it from something else? That in turn rolls up into your IT or corporate infrastructure. And there should be another layer there of looking at things. And, um, you know, in theory, you as an individual in your business unit are not going to go out and subscribe to the internet. You're going to go through your IT infrastructure. Yeah. But at the same time, you as a business unit are going to buy that piece of software to do what you need it to do. Yeah. So you're going to have a up chain and a down chain issue. You have to worry about it at both places. It's not an either or. Okay, that's great. Then what is the role of my vendors? So my application vendors, my integration vendors, my hardware in the sort of supply chain issues. So we know the tier one providers, they claim to be hack proof, everything's out there, but where do we where do we get in? What is their role and how do we partner in a supply chain management like this with those those big guys that keep our organizations running? Everything can be hacked and broken into with enough time and money. We all yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, worst comes to worst, uh, there, there's a cartoon I've seen a few times where um, uh, someone is saying, you'll never guess my password. It's got uh, 
400 characters, numbers, letters, underscores, whatever. And the one guy says, well, shall we look for the post-it note? And the other one says, no. And he's got a baseball bat. He's going to just convince me to change it. <laughs> yeah. give, me a, yeah. give me that baseball bat. It was, it was used by someone in the game to play, you know, whatever. Um, so these multiple roles, first of all, you want to look at that vendor and make sure the vendor has a reasonable supply chain or secure development lifecycle if they're selling you a product that you want to ask them you know what do you do now the vendor won't be able to tell you the nitty-gritty details they should never do that because if they tell you the nitty-gritty details um they might have missed something or they may be doing everything right but you don't need the details. You need to know whether or not you believe that they're doing something that's scalable, that's reasonable, that's right. So look, when you ask a customer or a vendor, what are they doing? Say, you know, do you have a secure development lifecycle? Okay, how do I know that you've done everything at the point the product is shipped to me or provided to me that will tell me it's not got a security issue. But then remember what I just said a second ago, everything can be hacked with enough time and money. Things will come up. So you want to ask the question, okay, say that something bad happens, what will you do to mitigate that? How do you mitigate that? So if you discover that there's a vulnerability four levels down, how what's your process for handling that or if we call you up and say hey we think there's a vulnerability what's your process for handling that so um, let me let me let me backtrack i mean we're in the bottom of the world in south africa and and um you know when we're talking about the tier one vendors that are out there from an erp perspective we're mm -hmm. talking hr financials supply chain manufacturing we don't get to have those discussions quite often with the development team. They're saying we're moving on to a SaaS environment and you're paying your subscription for your ERP access. And um, do we trust what's on the box or do, you, or do you think there's a dose of skepticism that we should be going through on that RFP answering process? So there should always be a dose of skepticism. Um, you know, paranoia doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> you know? John so, Malkovich, so, you just quoted John Malkovich. My day is made. My day actually, is made. Actually, it was said a few years before him, but that's okay. We won't go there. The, the no, no, no. I'm statements. not old enough to know where it came from. I just know John okay. Malkovich. So the, 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 the reality is any vendor, if you go up to them and say, do you have a secure development life cycle? can you describe it at a high level we'll be able to tell you what their development life cycle is now when you're looking at a SaaS infrastructure that's a little bit different so uh, a lot of people will ask me do we have an iso 27001 certification for our development environment and that's that's an IT certification yeah. that doesn't yeah. necessarily yeah. apply to development yeah. so i always point to you know, common criteria, ISO 15408. Lots of people subscribe to that. That tells you, what did I put in my product? How do I know it's secure? And then it also looks at my development practices to make sure that the practices are reasonable, that they do things like, do you do code testing? Do you do static code analysis? Do you do et cetera, et cetera? Okay. And then we'll add on to that flaw level remediation, that question that everyone asks, 
So what if something is found? How do we notify you? How do you tell us it's found? How do we know that it was fixed? Okay. So there's all of these things that you as a, on the, all the way in South Africa, can turn around and say, tell me about it. Okay. And that's for a software developer. Now, if you're looking at SaaS, then there's another series of questions you want to ask because it's not the software you're buying. Mm -hmm. What you're buying is the infrastructure, the mm -hmm. IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So there, 27,001, tell me what you're doing. Do you have your 27,001 certification for your SaaS infrastructure? Tell me, do you have your um, SOC 1, SOC mm -hmm. 2? You know, all these standards do apply. The same standards you would apply to your IT infrastructure should be in your SaaS infrastructure. Okay. So basically what I'm taking from this, this last 10 minutes of discussion, from a CIO perspective, we need to be informed about what we don't know, and we need to be asking those questions to be informed. So if you're going out on Tinder and you're making a big change, like an application change, we're not building, we're not downloading, we're actually taking an application to do a business function. Ask those questions around the supply chain on where it is and how it's dealt with. And we should, if they are reputable, if we are dealing with the big guys, they should be able to answer that. You've terrified me on this talk, Michael. It's been very informative. Um, we are coming to the end of this. I, I, I'm actually petrified to ask you the next couple of questions because I'm scared of what you're going to say. What are you most excited about that's going to be released from the MicroFocus stable in the next six months that's going to help us with um, IT supply chain? Oh, my gosh. Um, so first of all, allow me to help you. I don't do product. I look okay. at our technology and say, these are the things we need to fix and what we need to fix and how to fix them, et cetera. But that having been said, um, the the entire Fortify product suite is incredible. Um, the SaaS offering for the Fortify on demand is just getting better and better. So if you're developing software, you know, you really want to look at using that technology, whether it be for static code analysis or dynamic, uh, that technology helps you determine whether or not you put something into your code directly that might be a problem. Where do we um, find out about that? Is it on the website or just Google? Oh, yeah. Fortify, Google Fortify, Fortify on demand. Okay, that's awesome. So um, we, the second thing yeah. would be look at the ArcSight products. Uh, we're putting a fair amount of work into that. Um, there's some offerings that we've got where AI is tied in, uh, artificial intelligence. I know that's, that's everyone has artificial intelligence, but we actually have some uh, proven track records and you can actually find stuff on the internet or in our, our website about that as well. Awesome, awesome. Now, Michael, you do have a, a real job as chief security architect. What are you doing in the last calendar quarter before we get to Christmas? What is your focus for the next 12 weeks? Uh, not vacation. Ah, that's because Americans so, don't deserve vacation. You must work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Spoken like uh, almost a Texan, northern Texan. <laughs> um, so, so my job spans across all this, the products in CyberRes. So when you look at our, our product portfolios, we've got compilers and other things, and then you've got the security products, and that's where we put stuff in CyberRes. So I'm responsible for 
all the common criteria certifications, uh, all the other certifications we do, uh, security analysis of issues, uh, of course, fixing and working on supply chain as it continues to evolve. So um, I can tell you what I'm not going to be doing over the next three months. Visiting Sleeping, us. Sleep, well, that's only because you can't travel. <laughs> so sleeping sleeping is out of the question. Yeah. Vacation is out of the question. And, and by the way, for security, you asked me to warn you about tell people starting out, don't plan on holidays because what happens is that's when the hackers and bad people go out. They're off from school and they that's when they always attack. That's you know, Christmas that's Eve. Very inconsiderate. Very is, inconsiderate is. of them. I would say yeah. rats, but I'm not allowed to. So, so um, but okay, Michael, my last question to you. We've now gone, gone on the supply chain. Um, software supply chain, you've given us a lot of advice on where we can self-educate, we can go and read, definitely look at Fortify on Demand. You've given us a couple of nice tips for uh, young and old people. What is your advice for a CIO who's not a security specialist right now to get a better grip of their supply chain issues? And I've got your, your three uh, tips as well, but one parting almost almost a billboard for getting hold of your supply chain um so if you're a CISO usually or a cio you usually have uh, auditors and you've actually got people who that's their job to worry about so your job is to ask them the question where are our exposures and what are our risks and then of course the follow-up question is always how are you mitigating that? Okay, awesome. I love that. Wow, that was really a, a good, concise answer for us. Um, and really is, where are our exposures and what are our risks? I'm going to take that as a soundbite. Thank you, Michael. And, and how are you going to fix them? Okay. Don't we'll forget that. Them. Just because you know there's a risk and an exposure, if you're not doing something about it, then you've got issues. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, as you live in Texas, you probably are a little bit of a football fan. I just want to say from me to you, go the Hokies. Come on, Virginia Tech. I know it's not Texas. Who? Virginia Tech, the best football <laughs> team in America. Michael. Yeah, uh, American football, not soccer, right? No, 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 not soccer. Uh, real world football. A okay, proper good, game. Good. A proper, proper game. game. Okay, yeah. good. Michael Angelo. As the name in our hotel, this big, beautiful building, it's been a beautiful experience to spend time with you. Thank you. I learned, I've gone through a state of denial, paranoia, terrifying. Um, I, I'm so glad that right now I'm not a security officer because I would have been fired for not even knowing about this interesting topic. I'm going to learn more. For all of our attendees and, and uh, audience members, really go and learn about um, the supply chain, software supply chain. This sounds like a fascinating area to spend some time in. Michael, we are going to be watching you as you go into the future and just carry on forging ahead, carry on talking and carry on sharing. And just an honor to Alison and the marketing team from Microfocus for uh, allowing us to meet with people like yourself and just go on this learning journey with you. From my side, Daniel Robus, it's been an absolute pleasure to host this session. A little bit scary on how little I know, but uh, 
thank you for that. And thank you for putting up with some left field questions. From me to you, have a wonderful day. I'm going to have my dinner. And, and maybe a pint or two after that. <laughs> maybe a pint or two. You know the South Africans well. <laughs>